Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Before the Downbeat Day Musical Podcast. I am your ginger host, Mackenzie, and I am joined once again by my dear friend and mentor, the Canadian B. Arthur, the John Adams of theater, the Julia Child of Muskoka, as well as the Lady of Muskoka, Autumn Smith. Wow, how can I live up to the Julia <laughs> Child? I don't know. Friends, I would love to say that I can bake, but I suck at it. It's not- You made a really good turtle cake for Reed, I have to say, that looked pretty damn good. It was cute, it was cute. It was mostly really great buttercream because there's so much butter in it. <laughs> So now we're getting to do uh, this uh, this episode where we delayed it, we rejigged it a number of times. This was supposed to be a season three episode, but we bumped it up a season because we felt it was important to talk about it now more than ever. But Autumn, what are we doing? We are doing Once on this Island. Mm, indeed. I, yes. Saka grow me a garden. Yes. Please, Agwe, don't flood my garden. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't tell you what that is. Um, Azule. Is it Azume? Azule. Azule. See, yeah. I told you I was going to have name problems with this one. Papage. Yeah. Papage. Yeah. Well, Papage is the one of death. I know that one. good it is so good yes Uh, this musical is so good it has very beautiful music and we will talk about now in our current climate how we should tackle this musical because there are some questions that we do need to address with this but the music is gorgeous and you cannot deny the cultural significance of this show so this is definitely one that we were going to talk about eventually. And I think now we just bumped it up the schedule because this is a wonderful piece to kind of really dive into, into some wonderful conversations. So, yeah. And we yeah. need to talk about this team because yes. we have not talked about these guys yet. And they are my favorites. Yes, they are. Those Absolutely. Are strong they are. words. Those are, those are some fighting words, but I love Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty. Yes. Right. Well, they have great chemistry. I mean, you watch them in, in interviews together. They have wonderful creative chemistry with each other. That is just superb to watch. You can see why they have worked well together. Yeah. Um, but, Autumn, for people who don't know what What's on This Island is about, what is it about? Like, give us a kind of a bit of a plot rundown. Um, it takes place on uh, the French Antilles. Uh, and it, it's kind of, it's... 
kind of has many roots in, in other familiar stories, Romeo and Juliet, Mira from the Greek. Um, it's really based on Hunt Christian Anderson's Little Mermaid. That's where you get the majority of inspiration. Is which is that. weird. I don't, I, I guess, I guess. Oh, so. I get it. I, I mean, yeah. the plot is very, so yeah. So people who don't know the original plot of Little Mermaid, basically yeah. Mermaid makes a deal with, 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 with a god or a witch. Uh, she gets sent to land. She's told, um, uh, basically, when the prince doesn't love her, that you, that in order to like keep the bargain, she either has to kill him or, like, she dies. She chooses to die, goes into the water, becomes sea foam, and becomes kind of the figure mast head of all the ships of, of of ships going forward to protect the ships. Um, and so in this one, it's Yay. you can see the parallel where once again, um, yeah, water would. So like unrequited yeah. love like watching it i i'm watching like watching my, my my copy of the production i went oh yeah i can definitely see little mermaid all over this well, little mermaid had its roots in way way oh yeah christian anderson pulled it once well, again oh yeah well christian Hunter Anderson pulled it from somewhere else i mean that's the joy of fairy tales i mean we have <laughs> stories dating back to ancient china ancient india greek and romans like all these yeah. stories of Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, are all these kind of great yeah. universal tales uh, that we have. So Morality tales, yeah. whether Bingo. they're right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So, so the, the plot summary on this, basically, <coughs> on the French Antilles Islands, there are two worlds. There are the uh, bosoms, which are the... Um, light-skinned, um, uh, rich elite of the island. And then you have the uh, darker um, peasants uh, of, of the area that are the servants, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they both live on the island and never the two shall meet, uh, let alone fall in love. Mm -hmm. And then there is this horrible storm one night and it's all uh instigated by the gods as most mm -hmm. things are and very greek <laughs> um and uh this this man tonton julian comes across a child in a tree mm -hmm. and he's like after the storm and he he's contemplating whether or not he should take her or if he takes her is that interfering with what the gods have fated and he's like, oh, can't leave the girl there. So he takes her home. Mm -hmm. and he and his partner raise her. And uh, then there is another storm. And one of the bosoms, Daniel, uh, is driving his car and uh, crashes. And uh, Timun, the young girl who is now grown, comes uh, upon him and saves him and says, this is my destiny. He is my destiny. That's slightly where it's problematic in, in a lot of ways, like Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, she devotes her life to saving him and, mm -hmm. um, you know, basically bridging the gap between uh, the two, two sects of people on this mm -hmm. island. Uh, anyway, fast forward, she, uh, he is betrothed to someone else uh, and um, they get married. She dies of heartache, basically. 
Yes. And um, the gods decide because she has defeated death for so long, she sold herself to death instead of him. She made that mm -hmm. deal. She made that pact. Mm -hmm. um, but the gods didn't want her to just die. So they turned her into a tree so she could stand over Daniel and his family. For I'm saying this out loud and now I'm like, oh God, that sounds really gross. But um, so it's problematic from a feminist perspective. I will say that. <laughs> mermaid, uh, you know, um, that she is forever, you know, in, in servitude to him and his other wife. Uh, but that's, that's the plot outline. Why did I choose this? Oh, man, when I talk it through. Yes, Autumn, why did you choose it? You know what? I, I love Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty so much. And I think they were doing things that no one else was doing, mm -hmm. uh, in a particular time. And I think, you know, what, they did was they wrote, whether it be right or wrong, they wrote a lot of strong BIPOC characters and uh, kind of changed the shape of what Broadway looked like. Mm -hmm. At a time when it was very white, outcomes of once on this island. Um, and it's sad to say, but they, they popularized different stories. Mm -hmm. for a white Eurocentric audience. Now, were they the right people to do that? Maybe not. However, they did it, and now their pieces are being re-examined and done by BIPOC directors and things like that. And it kind of, it kind of laid, they laid a foundation. And I, whether it be right or wrong, it's certainly wrong that that two white people had to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, the way that theater is, they did. And that's- well, Art in general. I mean, for centuries, we have done this colonialization of other people's work into our own yeah. uh, work. I mean, Elvis Presley was known for that. Even um, as much as I love Howard Ashman, the music of Little Mermaid, where he wrote all reggae and, and Caribbean music. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Well, it's the kiss clash. the girl and under the yeah the clash like, all like, that stuff. Um, they they popularized reggae for a new audience. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there wasn't already a built-in audience yeah. for this work, but they brought it to um, the colonizer's gaze. Yes, and I think that's significant. That's significant, and. Mm -hmm. They, they, the writing that Aaron's and Flaherty do always put uh, the BIPOC story front and center. Mm -hmm. 
they did it with this and they did it with ragtime ragtime is possibly the most wonderful characters ever ever crafted um for you know at that time like just mm -hmm. they're they're thoughtful they are true leads in a musical um telling that story yeah you know and and it's painful and uh, I, I don't know i i i think they they paved a path and i think that it has to be acknowledged they do absolutely paid right that they had to do that no i don't i don't think we should have had to do that but unfortunately theater still primarily has a white eurocentric theater going audience yeah. and we appeal to their sensibilities and we start to train them bit by bit mm -hmm. to allow otherness into their world yep absolutely so yeah I, yeah I mean we'll talk more about this topic as we go along but I think that is a great kickoff point huh. but why don't we actually hear a little bit about Aaron and Flaherty as you said they are your favorite teams so let's hear a little bit about them uh -huh. they're amazing they're amazing mm -hmm. so let's start I, I'm, I'm starting to do that this uh this season and I, I like it the source material for once on this yes. island actually came from a book that Aaron's picked up in a like a used book store. Don't worry, we'll get into that story. And I got all those details. Max got all all the goods, all the goods. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it is uh, based on a book. Hold on one second. I want to make sure. Oh, my love, my love, or the peasant girl. Peasant girl. And it was written by Rosa Cuthbert Gee. Uh, who was a Trinidadian-born American writer. Um, Guy grew up in New York, uh, the metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. Her family had immigrated to uh, the U.S., and she was orphaned when she was very young. So it's interesting, because that kind of ties in the idea of Timun, right? Yes. Um, she was raised in foster homes, and she uh, was later acclaimed for her books of fiction for uh, adults and young people that stress supportive relationships. So obviously she was writing from a place of, of personal um, narrative, right? Yeah. Um, and we get that, we, we get that longing in T Moon's um, relationship with mm -hmm. uh, Tonton Julian and Mama You're Alive, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so he lived in New York City, and uh, she was one of the founders of the Harlem's, Harlem Writers Guild in 1950, which is amazing. Uh, it was highly influential. Uh, influ oh, I can't speak today. Uh, it was highly influential in encouraging African-American writers to gain publication, and they had a very high success rate. So that was wonderful. Great. Um, Guy died of cancer in June of 2012. Oh, so recently. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty recent. Uh, her notable works include Bird at My Window, The Friends, Ruby, Edith Jackson, and of course, My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl. 
So that's a little bit about the source material and where it came from. Yeah. Um, and then we have our, our team. And I'm going to mix this up a little bit because usually I talk about one and then the other. These two are a combo deal. So I'm going to talk a little bit about their humble beginnings, but then I'm going to talk about them as a unit because Perfect. they are a unit. Okay. Very much so. Very much oh, so. Yeah. So um, Lynn Ahrens is the lyricist mm -hmm. of the duo. And um, Lynn was born in New York City. Uh, she grew up in Neptune Township, New Jersey, and went to Neptune High School along the Jersey Shore. I just want to say Jersey Shore. I thought it was fun. <laughs> um, she went to Syracuse University and got a degree in journalism and English. Um, she then began a career in advertising as a copywriter uh, for McCaffrey and McCall. How funny is that? I, this is such an interesting, it was her first job out of college. Who knew? Um, and then uh, she was living with her ex-husband uh, while working as a secretary copywriter. And then she would bring her guitar to uh, play songs and write songs during lunch um, when she was at this ad. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, George Newell um, was passing by and asked her casually to write a song for Schoolhouse Rocks. Uh, she wrote the preamble and it went on air with Aaron's singing it. So she began with Schoolhouse Rock. I love that. Um, she subsequently um, became a, a writer for, for that, for those little snippets in between. Mm -hmm cartoons on a Saturday morning um, and then became uh, working as a freelance composer and singer of commercial music and she wrote a number of children's television um, songs particularly for Captain Kangaroo and Love then Captain Kangaroo began, I know she began writing for the musical theater world in 1982 mm-hmm and uh, her companion, Stephen Flaherty, mm -hmm. um, the composer, as it were, was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he began studying piano at the age of seven. When he was 12, he knew he wanted to write musicals. Um, and by 14, he had already composed his first one, which is very wow. cool. I know, crazy. He attended South Hills Catholic School in Pittsburgh and later studied musical composition and piano at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Um, he then uh, did an additional graduate study uh, studies in musical theater at NYU. So fun fact, which we'll touch upon a little bit later with another Aaron's and Flaherty musical, Mm -hmm. To make his way through college, Flaherty played ragtime piano in the dance band. Listen to the ragtime. Okay. <laughs> which they also wrote, which is one of my favorite musicals of all time. Uh, I think we have that scheduled for season three. Oh, we'll talk about it. Um, so um, at the NYU, he uh, had teachers including Richard Mulvey Jr. and Arthur Lawrence. But when you got Arthur Lawrence as a teacher, you're good to go. I know, I know. So um, in 1982, 
uh, Aaron's and Flaherty began their predestined uh, collaborative affair mm -hmm. at the BMI Lehman Angle Music Theater Workshop. Um, founded by Lehman Angle. We've talked about this a couple of different times. A lot of people have gone through there that uh, have become notable. A lot. It's like, it's like a rite of passage, I, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about them as a team because that's what they are. So Aaron's and Flaherty, um, their first gig together was doing a one-act children's show, mm -hmm. uh, The Emperor's New Clothes. Fairy tale, USA. Mm -hmm. Then they produced Lucky Stiff, mm -hmm. which we'll have to talk about sometime. It's great. I love Lucky Stiff. Yeah. That is my favorite of theirs. It is so funny. I I adore oh, that. And there's well, a great film adaptation well. with Jason Alexander. It's so. funny, everyone. Mac loves it. I see. Mac is having in that other musical that we're not going to mention. <laughs> such a such a wide range you have um i have a very wide range you do you do you do their first big broadway musical was once on this island mm -hmm. um and i'm not going to talk about that because you're going to do that indeed i am um mm -hmm. But it was successful. We can say that at least. It was bond more work incredibly successful. I'll never forget seeing it on the Tony Awards going, what is this musical? This is amazing for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. Like this is a story. This mm -hmm. is something new. And yeah. that's terrifying in 1982 that that is yes. what was new. Yes. Anyway, um, so that was in 1990. In 1992, uh, they were signed by Disney to write the animated musical Song of the Sea, a coming-of-age story Ooh. about a humpback whale, um, but it was never produced. I was about to say, I don't remember that in, like, in like, the, the Disney Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. It just... Um, they... the. The great thing about this musical is it paved the path for a later Disney work, which mm. we'll talk about in a moment. Um, in 1992, they also wrote the musical My Favorite Year, uh, which was, um, it was notably the first original American musical to be produced at the Lincoln Center Theater. Oh. Pretty cool. Yes. Um, uh, he would, uh, Flaherty would go on to write uh, three additional original musicals for the Lincoln Center, uh, all in collaboration with Lynn Ahrens, A Man of No Importance, which has some gorgeous music in it, mm -hmm. uh, Dessa Rose, and The Glorious Ones. Mm -hmm. um, then in 1996, the wondrous ragtime debuted in Toronto, Ontario. Live Ant. Canada. Live Ant. You know, say what you want about Garth Drabinsky. However, some good things happened. Some good things uh, happened. Well, think about it. Parade, Kiss of the Spider Woman. There's quite a few, there's quite a few Musical big, like... actually had its first workshop. I remember friends saying, oh, yeah, I have this, like, 
audition for a workshop of this new musical Susical. I was like, what? Oh, Susical. So Ragtime. Ragtime. They did Ragtime. Monstrous success. Still a yes. monstrous success. Mm-hmm. Brilliant musical. We'll talk about it. Um, it is scheduled. Uh, yes. <laughs> After Ragtime, of course, Flaherty and Aaron's turned to do Susical. Um, which they workshopped here. That was co-conceived with one Eric Idol. I thought it was fun. I can I can totally see that. He yeah. he make a great cat in the hat. Yeah, I, we should plan that one. I love that musical. It's great. It is planned. We do have it scheduled. Excellent. They have also written the musical Rocky. I don't. I won't lose respect for them on that one. Rocky. Um, I know. I know. Um, but on that one, they worked with one Thomas Meehan. Ah, Thomas Meehan, amazing. Yes. Uh, I, he just keeps coming back. We did him in Air, we did him in Hairspray. Who yeah. like who knows where else he'll pop up? <laughs> uh, but it just shows he's like he has this diversity, which is well, once again he has the ability, <laughs> especially if you think about it, he did Rocky. He has the ability to look at a source material like a film or a comic strip and yeah. figure out where songs fit within that plot. Yeah, organically. Yeah. And he can fit them in there really well. Like, that is his gift. He knows how to plot musicals properly to and, allow and the songs to accent the show. Wonderful. I and never the story along at the same time. I would never think of Rocky as a musical. I can see it as a musical. I it's can kind of an underdog. I still, I still can't. It's but a story to go see. But um, after that, their <laughs> next musical, it, w- look at it, it was nominated for four it, Tonys and seven drum desks. Yeah. Like, like, it did well. Like, it ran for quite a while. It, it was in at the Winter Garden, like one of the big Broadway houses. It just shows how fluid they are in their artistry. I think it's mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. Yes. Well, think about it. They've gone from Once on this Island to Ragtime to Susical to Rocky to the Candid Disney project that I still want to know where it spawned elsewhere because I'm fascinated. Oh, don't worry. It's coming. It's coming. Um, their next musical, however, was Little Dancer, which was um, directed and choreographed by Susan Stroman. It was ah. inspired by the famous sculpture Little Dancer by Edward... Uh, Edward. Oh, can you delete that? That's terrible. Edgar Degas. Edgar Degas. So we can just say Degas. If you don't, no one needs to know his name is Edgar. What? I don't like that name, Edgar. Hard to say. (laughs) Um, So that show premiered at uh, the Kennedy Center's Eisenhower Theater with Rebecca Luker. Lesser, mm. Boyd Gaines, yes. and Tiller Peck. Uh, and that's a musical basically about um, Degas and his relationship with a young ballerina in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Much of it is set at the uh, Paris Opera Ballet. So um, a reworking of the show has happened and now it's called Marie Dancing Still mm-hmm. after the name of the young ballerina. <clears throat> and we might see that pop back. It, it had a uh, premiere at Seattle's Fifth Avenue Theater in March of 2019. Mm-hmm. Now, 
their next <clears throat> musical um, was Anastasia. Ah, yes. Right. I just went and saw that in Toronto. It was lovely. Lovely. So it was based on the 20th Century Fox film. Mm -hmm. uh, the show premiered in April, and it was during 2017-18 that they had the rare honor of two of their shows being on Broadway at the same time. That's right. It was Once on this Island and Anastasia. Anastasia. Which is Which You need to show your kids Anastasia, because it has... Yeah, it's great. Some beautiful music and uh, uh, and oh my goodness, like yeah. the story is wonderful. I mean, it can inspire them to love Russian history like it inspired me. Mm -hmm. Now they also they wrote the music. They wrote the music for the the stage, the the film. The film. Yeah, oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So which is funny. Like I didn't know who they were, but I've but I've loved that music growing up. And uh, there, there we have it. They've that's their Disney sensation, right? Is that Disney? No, no, 20th century. Well, technically, now it's Disney because 20th century Fox is owned by Disney, right? Um, or sorry, no, sorry, now it's just 20th century, they killed the Fox part. Um, I think that's where it comes back in. That makes sense. Well, I mean, everybody thinks Anastasia is Disney because it is a princess story, Otherwise. but it's like. But it's like, no, 20th Century Fox was doing, and Warner Brothers were trying to do Disney musicals mm. in the 90s. So that's why you have like a Quest for Camelot that Warner Brothers did. You have Anastasia that right. 20th Century did. Like these are all kind of those spunky girl um, uh, musicals, uh, music animated yeah. movies of the 90s. And Anastasia, fantastic. I mean, you can't that's get right. any better of a villain than. Rasputin, like you really oh, so really good, can. like, and then also you have Kelsey Grammer in there as Vladimir, like, and also Liz Calloway as the, uh, uh, as the singing voice of Anastasia. I'm like, gonna have to watch it again. I haven't I haven't seen it in them. It's so of. good. It's so good. It's schmaltzy good fun. Amazing. Oh, I like. And that. also Angela Lansbury's in it too. I mean, you can't go oh. wrong. Okay. Well, sold. Great. Then they, um, uh, what did they, what else did they do? They uh, wrote the original film score for the documentary After the Storm, hmm. which follows a group of teenagers as they perform Once on this Island in New Orleans post-Hurricane Katrina. And that is what inspired uh, the revival. So we'll yes. get into that. It did. Uh, he, uh, you know, they, they do their own things, like, but they're on a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. um, the, the most recent thing that they've done is Anastasia, I, I believe. Yes, yeah, so um, the late great Terrence McNally. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They're currently working on um, a musical adaptation of a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, A Death in the Family and a Pulitzer Prize winning play all the way home uh, with uh, ragtime director Frank Galati, who is adapting the text and directing. The new musical is called Knoxville, and it will have its world premiere. It was supposed to be in April 2020, uh, but it was uh, starring Jason uh, Daniele, uh, mm the widower what is that mm -hmm. how you say the widower of yeah widower Marin Macy 
Yes. Yeah. Who starred in Ragtag? So there we go. We tied it all back in and above. Well done, Autumn. Amazing. Is that it for team histories? No. I'm going to bring up one more person. All right. The original director, choreographer. Oh, yes, please. Graziella Danielle. Uh, is an Argentinian uh, American dancer, mm-hmm. choreographer, theater director. Mm-hmm. Uh, born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, after her parents divorced, her mother got a job as a secretary for the Argentinian government. Uh, and then later, her mother became an actress. I thought that was great. Uh, she began her dancing career um, at the age of seven at Teatro Colón, Argentinian's equivalent of the Bolshoi Ballet. Love that. Um, I know. Uh, She later moved to Paris to continue her studies. And while living there, attended a performance of West Side Story, um, Ah. Jerome Robbins' original choreography. (coughs) She was overwhelmed um, by this and and the way dance was uh, integral to- um, The plot. Story, mm-hmm. Tell, yeah. you know, the, telling that story. Mm-hmm. So she decided to move to New York, uh, the the home. <laughs> uh, Robbins moved storytelling, mm-hmm. and she studied dance and uh, uh, jazz and modern dance. Um, uh, she felt those were the best styles for expressing human emotions on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I, would, I agree. I would totally agree. Um, as a performer, she made her Broadway debut in What Makes Sammy Run. I don't know that one. No, I don't um, know either. But she studied with Martha Graham and Merce Cunningham. Uh, mm. And she worked with Bob Fosse, Agnes DeMille, and Michael Bennett. And Michael Bennett hired her to assist him with Follies in 1971. Oh. And then her uh, first credit as a full-fledged choreographer was the 1979 revival of The Most Happy Fella. Mm. Um, She has worked on three Woody Allen films, Mighty Aphrodite, Everyone Says I Love You, and Bullets Over Broadway. Okay. Um, In addition to her work in New York, uh, where she choreographed for Ballet Hispanico and served as a director in residence at the Lincoln Center, she also choreographed uh, theatrical, opera, and dance productions throughout the whole states. Love it. Um, she has uh, done several musicals with Aaron's and Flaherty, including The Glorious Ones, Dessa Rose, um, uh, at the Off-Broadway Mitzi Newhouse Theater at the Lincoln Center. And she did Once on This Island. She did um, uh, Bernarda Alba, Little Fish, and of course, um, she was the first person to direct William Finn's two one-act musicals, hmm. March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Lands, mm-hmm. which would later be combined to create Falsettos. Which we uh, recently just talked about. I know. She was inducted into the American Theatre Hall of Fame in 2005. Mm-hmm. That is the creative team. All right, so let's head into some production history then, Autumn. So uh, this musical began its journey in 1985 when Rosa Gee uh, published My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl, 
which is an adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid, set in the French Antilles. Uh, in 1990, Lynn Ahrens uh, found this book in a used bookstore, and once she read the line, uh, there is an island where the river runs deep, where the sea sparkling in the sun earns it the name the Jewel of the Antilles. Uh, she read that, and she just knew this could make a great uh, source for a musical. Uh, because of its wonderful poetic language. So she bought the book for $1.50. And she adapted uh, the book into a one-act musical entitled Once on this Island with the music by, as we said, Stephen Flaherty. Uh, this was their fastest collaboration, and it took them only six months to write the musical. They wrote it uh, with a lot of inspiration, kind of the first song that they came up with. Uh, was none other than the prayer song that we now know that kind of opens uh, the show, which is uh, We Dance. Uh, so that kind of melody of uh, Agave, show me the garden, uh, all that type of thing. Uh, that was kind of the first bit that Flaherty plugged in on the piano and that inspired uh, Aaron's with, uh, oh, this is a prayer song. So that is where that came from from there they kind of worked really fast as we said six months actually Flaherty said a lot of his inspiration came from walking through the city of new york and just hearing the sounds and the rhythms and that's kind of where he got his inspiration uh this musical premiered off broadway at playwright horizons where it ran through uh may 27th 1990 and then after a successful uh off broadway run it transferred to broadway on October 18th, 1990. And the production, as we said, was directed and choreographed by Graziella Daniela uh, and featured La Chance as T-Moon. It had Jerry Nixon as Daniel, uh, uh, Andre uh, Fy uh, Fyerson as... Izule, thank you. Izule. The God of Water? Yes, yeah, the God of Water. Sheila Gibbs was Mama uh, um, Uriel. Uh, you have uh, Cecilia Lewis as Asaka, Jerry uh, McIntyre as Armand, Milton Craig Neely as uh, Agua. Uh, okay. Agua, thank you, Agua. I told you there's going to be some name pronunciations we're going to have to work okay. on. Uh, er uh, Eric Riley was Papa Guy. Uh, Ellis okay. William, pardon? No, it's Papa Gay, isn't it? Papa Gay? Papa Gay. Papa Gay. Sly Demon of Death. Yes, Papa Gay. Uh, and then Ellis E. Williams as Tuton Julian. Yep, Tuton Julian. Uh, yep, and the musical was nominated for eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Direction, and Best Musical Score. But it didn't win any awards. It was shut out. In that year, it was competing against the Will Rogers Follies and Miss Saigon. And Autumn, what won that year for uh, Best Musical? Will Rogers Follies. Damn right, which is still a travesty. It's an all-white musical. Hurrah! Yeah, when About you have two American. diverse shows with Miss Saigon and Once on This Island, yeah, and neither of them win. This, this is way like talk about oh, I, comparison to Miss Saigon. Oh, and, totally different. Uh, well, just well, not totally different. I mean, they're both written by white people. 
<laughs> who are who 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 are who are doing some cultural appropriations with their characters. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't like T Moon and Kim are not too far off from each other. No, but it's the world around them. Like Miss Saigon really kind of demonizes the the Vietnamese in a way. Oh, like mm, uh, the engineer is very likable. I mean, you don't really hate mm, the engineer. Well, you understand him as a point of survival. Bingo. But and Kim is a very well, likable person. I mean, the only real bad one is Tui. But even then, he's understandable. He's not a straight-out villain. No, no one is a straight-out villain. We've had this conversation. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Thinking about this more, they have very similar plots. Where, like, Kim and Chris are very, like, T-Moon and Daniel. And then you have the other woman coming into the story, kind of like Ellen, uh, who kind of messes things up. And in both cases, Kim and T-Moon die at the end. Oh, spoiler alert, everyone. Sorry. We've already talked about Miss Saigon. <laughs> yeah, and, we're talking, I, and we've already gave I, the plot of this one, too. I don't I mean, know. I, now, think I didn't realize they have her so similar, but now I'm looking at them like... No, they're not. The world around them is not similar. This is, yeah. this is more specific. I find it more, in a weird way, culturally specific, too. True. That is true. It, I do agree on that. Part. I find that, you know, Vietnam has like this... Yes broad yeah broad stroke once again it's epic it's an epic operatic story which is very broad this is a much more character plot like more character driven piece yeah it it, it, it's kind of two different angles of coming in at at a show yeah yeah it's this is still slightly problematic but not as problematic bingo I mean, like, I, and, and that's kind of the big thing where, like, Broadway goes in these weird swings where you either get the lame is epic kind of broad stroke story or you get into these more character-driven, yeah. intimate stories. I mean, and yeah. there's some that are there's some that are a weird mix, like Wicked, like Parade, yeah. where you got these weird mixes of focus on a character, but then also have this wider, broad stroke world behind them, so... Oh, let's not talk about Wicked right now. We're saving uh, Wicked. Don't worry, we're going to get there. Don't worry, we're going to get there. You may have to. Uh, there, there's something about scope and scale. And this one is mm-hmm. like, it's almost like you open a storybook and this one pops out. Yes. Whereas, and I prefer that because you really get invested. Or something like Miss Saigon, it's so epic. And I find that epic musicals tend to be about concept rather than the story. Mm-hmm. And I that dates I back really to Jesus Christ Superstar. I, yeah, and I the just, concept musical. I just Weber. know how Will Rogers Follies beat out both of these. Like, I don't know either. Had, if you said to me, what would you give it to? I'd be like, Once on this Island. I didn't yeah. realize it was in contention that year. Over both of them. Mm-hmm. But you know, you got you know your white rah rah flag waving knee slapping yeah. musical about an American icon. What is not to love? Root toot toot. Root toot tootin'. Yep, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, okay, so after it got shut out of the Tonys, it closed uh, on Broadway on December 1st, 1991. It ran, a, it ran a reasonable run of 496, or sorry, 469 performances in 19 previews. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then in 2002, the original Broadway cast reunited with a, with, with a special guest Liza White, or sorry, Lilith White. Uh, to perform the show f- uh, for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS and the Cantor Fitzgerald Relief Fund. Hmm. So there we go. <clears throat> so they so they did that. Uh, then, as you said, there was a documentary done all about the musical being done um, in um, after the um, Hurricane Katrina, you said it was? Yes. So they did that, and then that inspired <coughs> the revival where it was directed by uh, Michael Arden, um, who recently is known for doing the deaf production of Spring Awakening. He was just Quasimodo and a hunchback, but he did this musical where he uh, stripped it down, basically. He said it during, he said it in Haiti after like a tsunami, uh, mm. like hurricane disaster. So garbage, uh, water log everywhere, and then yeah. the storm happens, and then that inspires this tale. So like all the um, gods are kind of dressed in these kind of makeshift garbage costumes like um uh agwe the god the 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 water god is covered in uh, kind of like blue plastic because the water the ocean is full of plastics smart uh you have like uh the god of death um uh uh kind of dressed in this kind of broken plasticky kind of metal scrap rusty look Mm, it's very cool very cool look and it, it was done on a uh, alleyway theater stage with real sand and water love real goats real chickens yes absolutely like it was a real kind of immersive production uh and so it was produced by ken davenport uh and choreographed by camille a brown and it began previews on november 9th 2007 sorry 2017 uh and it officially opened on december 3rd at the Circle in the Square Theater. Uh, the production, uh, once again, as we said, it was, it featured uh, real sand, water, live animals. Uh, and the cast included Haley uh, Kilgore as Timoon, Isaac Powell as Daniel, uh, Alicia uh, Delarutz as Andrea, Philip uh, Boykin as uh, Tonton, Julian, Kenita R. Miller as Mama Uralai. How do you say Uralai? Mama Uralai. Uh, Alex Newell, who I have, who who, who I made sure we uh, looked this up properly, uh, identifies as gender uh, as a gender nonconforming gay man. Uh, took on the role of Asaka. Uh, Merle. So good too. Like Alex Newell is phenomenal. And if you don't know their work, uh, like uh, Alex was on Glee. Also, Mm -hmm. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Yes. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, So yes, Alex Newell played Asaka. uh, Merle, uh, Dan Rich played Papa, Papa Gay. Gay. Gay, gay. Papa Gay. Uh, Quentin Earl Darrington played um, Agwe, and the wonder, uh, speaking of Miss Saigon, the original Broadway West End Kim, Lea Salanga, played 
Azule. Azule. So she played Azule, the god of love, in this beautiful fontine white gown uh, and this beautiful headgear that she was wearing. It was beautiful. Uh, and David Jennings was uh, Armand. Uh, so the revival closed on uh, January 6, uh, uh, 2019, after once again 458 performances. So, no right, way. Like, so, ran around about the same amount of time as the original production did. Mm. And it was nominated for eight Tony Awards, including Best Director and Best Actress, but it only won for uh, Best Revival of a Musical. What was it? What what did it lose against? It was Carousel, My Fair Lady, and Once on This Island. So there we go. Well, it deserved to win. Yes. The Carousel. I mean, it had some nice dancing, but it didn't fit. So it didn't blow high for you. It no. It, it blew low. It blew low. Perfect. Uh, oh, want, these guys need to go a whaling, but that's another story. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway. Um, and then uh, I'm excited to say we have this last bit of production history that literally dropped last week. So thank goodness we kind of waited to do this episode so we can actually include this in the notes, uh, which is Disney Plus, after the great success of Hamilton is now uh, underway of producing another uh, film live adaptation of Once on this Island. And the adaptation is being written by Jocelyn uh, Bihol, uh, who uh, who's also written She's Gotta Have It in The Russian Doll, and filmmaker, but Wanora Kayu, uh, her um, LGBTQ uh, film Rafiki was brought to the Cannes Festival, despite being banned in her home country of <coughs> Kenya. And she will be directing it. Uh, and Mark Platt of La La Land is the producer. Um, oh, well, that just... But the creative... But I mean, the, the writing team is... The writing and directing team is really good, so... Yes. At least we have that on our side. Uh, but there we go. So we will be seeing a film adaptation brought to you by Disney Plus coming in the near future, apparently. Mm-hmm. Which is perfect. That's great. I, th- I think... I think it's great. I but look at it is it is there now. It is it is part of the canon to now be um, handed over. What if it was never created? Look at that piece. Whether we think they appropriated a voice or not, look at what is happening with that now. If oh, that absolutely. Was never written. This could not be a Disney option. I think it's great that they're they're um, reengaging this work, mm-hmm. with a culturally specific team. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm glad that this piece is there to be looked at mm-hmm. uh, with different perspectives. Agreed. That's well said. Say about that. Perfect. Wonderful. All right. So autumn. Uh, you mentioned that your first ex- uh, kind of experience was at the Tony Awards. With I mean, uh, I wish show. I were at the Tony Awards watching. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just... But I beyond just, that, have you watched any like productions of it? Like, have you seen it done live anywhere? I have. I have. Uh, yeah, I have. I did. I have seen it. Yep. Yeah. You see I, it? Saw it, I saw it at Stage Door Manor and there was ne'er a culturally specific person in the cast. Ah, 
ah, very good. Mm -hmm. So a show all about a certain culture just wasn't represented. Friends, I don't care who you are, don't. Just please don't. Don't do it. Don't do it, whether you be Robert Lepage or a child wanting, or, or a children's theater company, please don't do that. It's, it's not your story. There are so many stories. There are so, so many stories that we can tell. Mm -hmm. We all have mm -hmm. stories to tell. We are made of story. Yeah. Just know which ones are appropriate to tell. And we will get more into that topic mm -hmm. in my final thoughts, because I do have thoughts, especially um, on this topic, and I, why this has become a problem for this musical. But I don't think it is a problem for this musical. This is where I, I will disagree with you, mm. because I will get to it. Yeah. But so I, I do think that it should have the same rule as the hairspray, that people yes. not do this with an all-white cast. The fact that it has to be a rule is a problem. <laughs> like, you think people will just understand, but... Come on, guys. Like, like seriously. Mm -hmm. I, really. I, the, uh, there's so much content out there for you to chew on. Why is this the piece you go to? it's there's there's so much there's so much wrong with that um so yeah i that was the the time i saw it live i i would have loved to have seen it in the alley formation i uh i would have I, hopefully they get the tour back on the road once oh, COVID is over. so it's um there's there's something magical about this piece. I I feel like I'm transported somewhere else, and that's mm -hmm. that's good storytelling. Yes. And I think Aaron's and Flaherty have that ability, kind of like um, Secret Garden, to mm. take us to another place completely for a couple of hours, and they they leave it even though their musicals end usually in a place of happiness, it's like a good Shakespeare comedy done properly where the audience is left going, hmm, I now have questions. And I think that makes them remarkable. Um, um, I don't want to call them storytellers. They are storytellers, however, they are re-engagers of the narrative. Mm. I think they find a way to bring other people's narratives to life in, in a new way. And I find that very, very exciting, whether it be, you know, Rosa Gee or, you know, um, Dr. Seuss, Dr. That, that wrote Ragtime yeah. or... El Doctro or or Doctor Zeus. Mm -hmm. I just think they they're very they're great at reimagining and reempowering and reinvigorating story. Agreed. Well so, um, yeah. Uh, but 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 uh, do I want to see it done the the way it should be done? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I tried to watch parts of the After the Storm. Because I was like, talk about something that's really appropriate. Like mm -hmm. this is a way to bring people together to tell a relevant story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I just, I think they're great vessels for 
re-engaging story. And I, I, I find them remarkable for that. Mm -hmm. um, but the version I saw never should have happened. It should never happen again. Exactly. I can say though, my first experiences with this show are very minimal. Uh, I really didn't know much about it before the Tony revival performance they did with Alex Newell. Um, mm. But once I saw that, bought the album, listened to it, I've watched, there was a great bootleg of the original uh, Broadway production that I watched. Um, uh, but other than that, like, that's kind of it for me. Like, this isn't oh. one that I really grew up with. This isn't one that I heard much about. I mean, there was a, a studio in Barrie that... Uh, did it once again very white group of children uh, who did it don't know why I just remember hearing about that uh, and just kind of going I'm not no one does anything like there are people there are people here doing versions of things that they shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. and everyone just goes oh their kids learning something no they're no. not kids learning something. Yeah. They're learning how to appropriate a voice. Is that something you want to teach them? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. There. So why do we now get into our top three songs? Autumn, what is your number one? I don't know. I love this whole musical. I really do. Um, T Moon. Who knows how deep those rivers flow? Who knows how wrong a dream can go? I won't be there to guide your way. To braid your hair or dry your tears. As we have done these many years. Did not make my list, but good choice. Oh, so gorgeous. And it's, it's for me, it's, it's the feeling that parents have when their children leave. Mm-hmm. And well, that's I, what I thought it, was thinking. It's funny, I was, I was listening to it. I was driving home with Maude and Sarah and the kids were behind me. Mm -hmm. And I was bawling in my, <laughs> literally bawling as I was, you know, humming along, but uh, who knows how high those mountains climb. It's so, the line of it. Flaherty's music in, in this piece is just, and, and Aaron's like, it's simple, deceptively simple. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so beautiful. Like, I won't be there to guide your way, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. it's, it's that, it's that, it's, it's like a slow aching goodbye it's that universal feeling every parent has and they've brought it and they once again bringing us all together going all our cultures have this universal moment where this will happen whether it is the white family dropping their their their, their child off at uh college university or it's in this small village where the where these parents are 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 are, are letting their child go out into the world but like there's that universal moment of their and it's beautiful like, uh, like, I remember watching that moment in, in the bootleg, and I was thinking, oh, my parents probably felt the same way when they dropped me off at York University. And I just ran off into the crowd, and they never saw me again after they moved me uh, in. Yeah. 
bingo. And, and apparently my dad said, your mother cried the whole way home. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. like this headstrong, you know, as kids, we don't realize it, but mm-hmm. as we get older, we go, oh, this is separation anxiety at its, yes. at its max. I'll never forget, you know, my parents dropping me off. My dad drove me to, well, I think both my mom and dad drove me to England, uh, the plane to, to like England? leave for England. And they didn't know yeah. when they would see me again. I just think, how harrowing is that? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, you know, Sarah and I have it kind of easy. We have like this ease in, week on, week off deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. And some weeks are harder than others. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like, uh, and you worry about them. And there's mm-hmm. this stress. And there's this concern. And then you realize that on top of all of that, you have this ill-advised relationship and the gods well the gods don't advise it but she's gonna go anyway but once again that is representing that every kid who parent or like the the older generation says don't go this way don't do it like 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 you will rue the cost of this but as young adults who are getting out into the world for the first time we all go no, I know what I'm doing. I got this no problem. And we have to learn the lesson of sometimes we don't got it and we got to get never down a peg. At yeah. 20, we never have it. There are, the, the, there are going to be knocks along the way. Yes. They're going to take us down. And mm-hmm. we're idealists at that point. Nothing's going to stop me. Well, everything's going to stop you. <laughs> That was me at the end of first year at York University when nothing went my way and I was literally kicked in the crotch way too many times to count. Yeah. And it was a summer of healing. It it was a summer where I went and worked with kids with special needs and I got out of all the art, like like, like all out of artsy fartsy stuff. And I just went up to nature in camped in nature for a summer. I think I got back to myself. Well, yeah. And it's, you know, you gave, you got back to others, mm-hmm. right? Others that needed you. Yeah. And, and your empathetic lens expanded. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, between 12, 11, and possibly 30, mm-hmm. our empathetic lens is only at our own navel. Yes. And poor me. And... And we forget the bigger picture. Yeah. Right? And some of us hopefully grow out of that. But the song Team Moon When She Leaves Home is, is gorgeous. Okay, but my number one is one, I don't know if you're going to have it on your list, but the sad tale of the Bohom. Bozoms. Bozoms. Thank you, Bozoms. Seeds of his 
Yes. Yeah. I do not have it on my list. But I love it. Too schmaltzy for you? No, um, no because it, it's kind of like the historical perspective of how they got to where right. they are. I, I like it. It's kind of like an, uh, a, a meta story. It's like the... Yeah. It's like a story within a story. I, I like that. Yes. It's just mm-hmm. not my favorite song. Fair enough. Uh, well, I liked it because, I, 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 as you said, it's a history lesson told in a really inter- entertaining way. And mm. this is where uh, Flaherty and Aaron's really kind of got to do a really great mix of French courtly music meets kind of Caribbean uh, native like sounding <coughs> music. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And they right. and they blended it really well together. Yeah. Uh, and yet, while the melody appears bright, there's this really kind of sad undertow, undercurrent that is leading the story along where you really feel for this man who was caught between two worlds. And it's this situation, kind of like Bouidoy in Miss Saigon, where it's both songs deal with these ripple effects of these people who have no intention of being caught in the middle of these two cultures, but they get caught and they're not accepted by either one. They're very much kind of othered because of not being part of one group or the other group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of, and that whole situation just wreaks havoc on the world all the time. I mean, this song reminded me of setting up the Rwandian genocide. Cause once again, it's that thing of, colonizer comes in they mess with the groups and and these people Mm. and then because of that they now become at each other's throats and the worlds don't connect anymore and that ultimately led to a genocide and in this case Timun kind of bridges the gap in this fairy tale but for the most part they're separate worlds but yeah that the song reminded me of that situation but the point being that it was my point being that basically you have this divide by colonialists creating this rifts and i think the last uh-huh. verse says it really well the unlucky one the unlucky son Like, it's tragic, but yet this is told in a very kind of courtly, uppity... Oh, yeah. They're very beat. smart. Like, I, I guess this weird mix of a song that is fascinating to me. Like, when I heard it, I went, it's very subversive, where unless you listen to the lyrics, you're going to tap your foot and go, oh, yeah, like, you know. da 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 it is and it's mm-hmm. it's almost it's almost showing how colonizers mm-hmm. love to put cute band-aids on things yes the the tune is the band-aid mm-hmm. 
yeah. but then you you're forced to listen mm -hmm. exactly exactly mm -hmm. and once again this whole situation spawns from the white guy having an extramarital affair with one of his servants Shocker. that's what spawns this whole musical thing yeah this whole cultural line comes from that part of yeah. him but look, it, look at the original source material I mean, this this woman was orphaned in mm -hmm. New York City. Yeah. And who knows what foster home she ended up in. Like this idea yeah. that you know, I, I can't I cannot imagine mm -hmm. at that time yeah. what that would have been like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know? Mm -hmm. So And I think some of Aaron's lyrics here are so powerful, like the color of coffee mixed with a little cream mm -hmm. like, that description right there oh hit me or and then also just the yeah there we go that's my number one the satel of the bosoms that's a good one i like yeah. it i like what it what is your number two? Oh, i don't know i uh rain Did not have it on my list. I like rain because it shows the complexity of the gods mm. and okay. how they kind of function in the same way that we do. It brings yes. them down to this kind of like bedding, petty. And the gods had hair prayer. Mango. A lovely mango. A poison mango. Drop the mango. Boom! And knock some sense in her head. <laughs> knock, knock some sense in her head. Splash her with a wing. Scare her half to death. Give her what she wants. You know, kind of like the Greek gods, how they were in, yeah. in um sometimes they help, sometimes they come down and screw you over. In the heavens. What is it called? The Deus Ex Machina? No, no, no. The oh, where they used to hang out in Oh, Olympus? Olympus. Thank you. Mount Olympus. Yeah. Mount Olympus. Let's have them like hanging out. These well exactly and then they come out. down and they screw people around like like what's yeah. this, like what the story of minerva and the spider right yes was her name minerva no arachne arachne, arachne. Like, but the what? goddess is minerva the goddess is minerva. right minerva. um wow good for you for remembering that 
Yeah. I blocked it from my memoir. <laughs> um, I just, I, I like it. And I, I love the music in this. It's, it's haunting. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's chaos. It's, it has the sound of chaos. And Papa Gay comes in and he says, you can't, you can't fool death. I know what I want. And, she's, yeah. and she defies him. Yes. And it's this moment of her selling her soul, basically. Well, it's like Ariel selling her voice to the sea witch. Mm -hmm. That's what that moment is. And it's, I, I don't think when someone does that, they know the consequences. Of course you don't. How can you see 10 steps ahead of you when, when like you're battling with this omniscient godlike figure that you're, that you're dealing with? I mean, he yeah. knows that in, that in the end he's going to get something. Yeah. He knows well, what's coming. That's inevitable, really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, but... He knows what's going to happen. He's like, don't worry. I'll, like, death waits for no one. I will get my desserts in the end. Huh. You may have delayed the inevitable, but. Oh, well. Yeah. I'll get him and I'll get you. And, and, and that's kind of what all these gods do. They all play these games. Like, <laughs> but in the end, yeah. he is reborn. So does he get what he wants? Or does uh, Azule win? Mm. In regards to T-Moon, I think Azule wins because she gets reborn as the tree. That's right. And trees are ever like everlasting until we cut them down. Until we cut them down. <laughs> Which the bosoms might. You never know. Yeah, it's true. You never know. But I, I, do, I, I, I do love the song. I think there's something... Mm um it just sets it all up that's yeah. great mm -hmm. and all the gods are implicated in it which is of course fantastic well all the gods play games that's that's part of these stories is and i i like that i love i love the gods and the pe their petulance and mm -hmm. all gods really yeah because we get to see them as these figures that are not so helpful but mm -hmm. just well think about it in that mm -hmm. prayer song you have the one god say grow me a garden you say one god please don't flood my garden yeah and and then the one then the one god is like don't kill me yeah and then the one the, and then what's the love god's line uh it's asaka grow me a garden uh please agwe don't flood my garden. my garden azule who will be my who will my love be so once again Age, don't come around me right so out of those four names really only one is really helpful which is Asaka Gromia Garden like yeah. Azule with the love thing it's like you can find that yourself I mean sure you hope somebody's gonna come along but like yeah you know but like out of those four people really only one I mean the water god I guess you can ask but like you're already asking don't kill me and don't drown me I just <laughs> think it's, I, th I also think it's nice to have a different god perspective yeah. Like, yeah, we know about Zeus and mm -hmm. Aphrodite and blah, blah. Well, all these cultures until, okay, slight history and religious changing here. Until Christianity came along and yeah. Judaism came along, we had paganism, which was like very much like a lot of these cultures, like the Greeks and the Romans, where you had different gods for different things. Egypt had the same thing. Uh, like ancient Egyptian culture had the same thing with Ra so and whatever. Indigenous Canadian culture, Indigenous Canadian yeah. culture. Yeah. 
bingo. Like, like it's a very common thing to do. I don't know enough about it, but it was very uh, centered on elements, mm -hmm. um, on what the what what nature could provide. Yes. Um, we've we've got we've we've got so wrong. We've, yeah. We've screwed it up. People, people. Agwe, come flood us. <laughs> I think it's happening. I, yeah. I think we're being flooded with illness. There we go. Mama will provide. Speaking of Mama will, Mama will provide. That is my number two. That is my number three. Mama will provide. Okay, good. We hit a match. I love this. It's great. I love this song. It's I, 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 it's a great travel montage song. It's very much for me like I have confidence from Sound of Music, where it's you got to get T Moon and Maria from point A like to point B, and to do that on stage, we got to find a really kind of neat way to go about it. And this is great. I, like, I know. I love that people like soundscape is written into the, the beginning song. of this. Yeah. The sound of the frog. The tree. Sha 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 sha. The frog. And the breezes. It's great. I I played it for Reed and he loved it. Of course. Well, it's almost kind of like um Kiss the Girl, where like you have Sebastian the Crab being like the winds, the strings, but he's making it all out of nature. Percussion. Strings. Winds. Words. To make, like, create the soundscape to create the mood. We're not going to get on this right now, mm -hmm. but Sebastian does not look like a crab. He looks like a lobster. I know. That's a different tangent. That's a Patreon conversation. That is. It's just like Jiminy Cricket now looking like a cricket. Um, Too long to be a crab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but either way, so, but yeah, like Timon and the gods, like this is a beautiful, loving, motherly relationship where it's like she's left home, she's on the road, and... And she has no like, use for mosquitoes like the rest of us. That's great. Yeah. Fantastic. It's so good. And the fact that like the song reminds people the earth is beautiful and bountiful when we actually let it provide for us and we don't bulldoze it and burn it. Right. That's right. That's like, right. 
It's the earth will gift. give you what you need. It's a gift. Yeah. All of our food comes from the earth. Yeah. Unless you, you know, eat plastic things, which many of us do. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's just going back to that sustainable mm-hmm. resource, right? Yeah. And the fact that they're personified is, is fantastic. I love mm-hmm. them. I, I, love mm-hmm. the, I love the idea of the gods because, you know, we don't do a lot of Greek drama anymore. And I, I love Greek theater. It's so big. It's so epic. Yes. There's so many different layers involved. Mm-hmm. And this just brings brings it back in a new way yeah um but it it it, it's the same themes and Mm -hmm. i love i love the the revival Mm -hmm. that they brought in this idea of the the earth being ruined and the gods Mm -hmm. reflecting that yeah i think that's amazing i also love they had a non uh genders um uh, uh binary gay uh uh, 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 uh gay, a gay man playing playing this mother earth figure like this omniscient being mama will provide so that was your number three uh, has roots in in so many um uh, so many indigenous uh mm-hmm. cultural specific mm-hmm. there's so many great things about this song i totally mm-hmm. agree with you mama will provide but my number three though yes is some girls they fold up their futures with perfumed hands while you face the future with no demands some girls expect things others think nothing of some girls you marry song okay <laughs> i mean i don't like the character of daniel very much no. but i find this is a very interesting concept or it's this thing of he's having this moment this conflicting moment where he's being drawn and enthralled by this outsider this exoticism this something that's different in the world that he's never known and he's actually being drawn to but then he goes ah can't do it i got class barriers i got things to uphold tradition i got tradition to deal with right and yeah i mean this reminds me a lot of like lieutenant cable in south pacific mm. um very similar situation mm. even chris and miss saigon where like it's these kind mm. of whiter men male figures because i think because daniel isn't supposed to be pure white he's supposed to be uh mixed Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed race uh but it's these kind of people who are in these privileged kind of ev- like elevated positions being brought into this other world or, or meeting these other people and then having this challenge put like mm-hmm. like of which way do i go in the fork in the road do i follow my heart or do it or do i follow tradition yeah it's a good soliloquy song in a way right because you yeah. know it's like ba-boom 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 yes. It's the the internal tennis match. Mm-hmm. And I song. yeah, and I also say uh, uh, Flaherty also really captured the Camelot theme in this, where it's that mm-hmm. reaching theme of reaching for this relationship and never quite getting there. Yeah, it's yeah. Really kind of 
fascinating. For me, it's just kind of like, uh, it's so interesting, um, musical theater writers and how they write powerhouse women mm-hmm. and how the guys always get kind of like the song. It depends on the musical. It, it depends mm-hmm. on the songs that are, it depends on the show. Like Les Mis has great, powerful male ballads. Yeah, but it's, it's equally, like when you think Les Mis, the first mm-hmm. thing you go to is On My Own or I Dream to Dream. Maybe Bring Him Home. But I think on my I was about to say bring him home or stars are usually the ones I would think of first. But mind you, mind you, I Dream to Dream is kind of the power ballad of the show because it wasn't it featured in every one of those trailers by with Anne Hathaway. Um Yes. Mm-hmm. But you're right, yeah. Like a lot of times they like Mama Rose gets a lot of great songs. What's his name? Oh, Herbie gets no song. Musical <laughs> theater really does elevate strong female voices. Mm-hmm. I have to say, as a medium, I respect that immensely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, there's a lot of great female great songs in here. Female characters and female leads out there. Yeah. I, I also like Some Girls because I think it's an interesting moment for the director and the actor that you can really play with, where you can go either really one or two ways, where it's either like, Daniel does love Taemin and he's making and he's trying to make the choice to go with her or he's just being an asshole and it's a lustful rela- relationship but mm-hmm. I think as an actor director you can really kind of play with this song and it I gives you a I lot of wiggle room that I you don't can fiddle think with he's an asshole I think he's just privileged and he doesn't understand what that means right and you can play with so much, you can play in that sandbox a lot with this song there's a lot you can dig into here like, yeah. like the song provides a lot of fodder for you to work with yeah even though like he even though he appears one-dimensional there's a lot of choices and things that have to be done with this yes. there's character in the song and that's what i like about it was that it was that it comes across as simple but then when you actually kind of dig in deeper you go oh there's a little bit more here to uncover yeah. and unearth as like I, 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 as as either the person behind the table or the actor that you got to make some really strong choices with this to make the story work because yeah. you can't wishy-washy on this you got to make a decision about how daniel's going to be absolutely i agree with you mm-hmm. yeah yeah and this and this is the this is the pinnacle of that and it's and and it's got some fascinating roots and 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 you see it uh, time and time again in shows. You and do. It's wonderful. Yeah, I uh, I I don't mind it. It's not one that I would put on repeat. It, me neither. Like I I would much rather listen to Mama Will Provide over some yeah. girls, but I think I some girls is a very interesting, interesting song. Some of the other, mm-hmm. like the argument is interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure, some girls you marry, some you love. Yeah. At the end of it, I'm kind of going, poor baby, what choices you have. But in his, but, but, but in his situation, that is a choice he has to make. And it, and, you know, and, this was, and those ramifications, like if he chose Taemun, what would his family do? Would they kick him out of the hotel and that lifestyle that he was living and force him oh, well. to be in the like, streets? He, I don't know. He's not, he's not good at sacrificing. No, he never has. That's, that's his... No pitfall Taemun is the one that sacrifices her life and becomes yeah. a treat and then in a in a way it's uh 
a cautionary tale. Yeah. 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 All right, Autumn, do you have any songs you either skip or would cut? No. I mean, I, I would, I would probably say that one, some girl, <laughs> but I understand, I understand it. I understand it. I just, for me, it's so nice. Like the melody, da, 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 da. like I, I don't find it struggling enough. And in that the privilege of that character comes through. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't feel bad for you and your struggle. <laughs> Whereas with, with Chris in Miss Saigon, you've got Why God, which yeah. is so like angsty. Mm -hmm. I just, I find it too polite, but that's who the character is. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just not my favorite. Like it doesn't move me mm -hmm. to like him. In fact, I don't like Daniel. I find him very privileged. Of course. Well, that's his life he's been brought up in. I that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. Bad behavior, privileged behavior is a choice as you get older. You can choose differently. We are all, we all have not our- Not if you don't, not if you're given those chances to learn and grow. I mean, Daniel is locked in a security <clears throat> enforced hotel. Yeah, but when he sees- Same with Amber and, yeah. When he sees T-Moon, his whole world can shift. True, and he, but he, but he has to make that choice, and he doesn't. He's in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. He's in the middle of a crisis, and he still he just well, he, well, he makes the easier choice. I'm gonna stick no, with what I've been set up for me. But that makes it uninteresting, and then you, we get to see the downfall, and you kind of go, oh, God. Well, it depends on how you do it. It depends on how you direct that moment with him. You can make that a very complicated conflicted moment i know like i just wanted him to struggle more it's na, 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 teeny. like it's like okay you don't really care you're just whatever go be privileged and have a nice tree you know have a nice tree like this enduring her love is enduring and his is wafty mm -hmm. i don't like him fair and I think that's the lesson. Mm -hmm. Like, don't sell yourself. That is not love. That is, that is not love. Becoming a tree is not love. <laughs> anyway, so that song, because he's so paper thin. Mm, there we go. Uh, well, I'll say for me, um, this is a very lean show to begin with. Mm -hmm. So there's not really any songs I would cut. I would say there are certain songs like my top three that kind of stand out to me more. And the rest are all kind of on the same high level, but still all kind of the same level for me. Like there's none of them I would ever chop. It's just kind of like, if I'm going to do a highlight reel, I'll choose my three that I really like to listen to. Huh. Like there's it's a really like, well constructed musical. It's very like uh, the fact they kept it to a one act musical. Yeah. Make, it works. It worked in its favor. Where if you like, if they extended this to two acts, no. you'd have a lot of fat you'd have to like trim through there. But this is like a one act, ba boom, great. It, I mean, I would love to take my kids to this musical. Mm. 
Because it's great storytelling. It's like shows the beauty of narrative. Mm -hmm. I'd have great conversations in the car with them afterwards about how that is never a good idea mm -hmm. to give your identity up for another person. Hannah, don't become a tree. No trees. Reed, don't become a tree. But yeah, okay. Uh, okay. But yeah, overall, I have my favorites of the show, but overall, the, it's a very strong musical that I don't see any reason to cut anything. Huh. Everything ties together. Everything exactly. is hard, except some girls. <laughs> you need some girls. You can't have the show without some girls. You need to give Daniel something, or else then he's mm. literally a wallflower character. You need to give him something to kind of sink his teeth into. And you can make that a moment. A yeah, I moment. guess so. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. If you're a director who can, who can do that. It can very easily fall flat if a director is choosing it to go in that direction. But you can have a really good choice director where they do something yeah. at that moment. There can be struggle. Yeah. It's That's, just so slow. It's hard Aaron's, to struggle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Aaron's put struggle in those lyrics. You just mm -hmm. got to. And play against that softer melody like play against that and because that's the fight where that is that's yeah. the draw of this melodic privileged world calling him to this place and he is being pulled in this other direction and yet he's also being called back by this melody yeah. the lyrics and the in the melody the lyrics and the music are in conflict with each other and that's where you get a lot of good juice it's true if you're a director who who, who is smart enough to tackle that you can very easily make Daniel a one-note, boring character. Totally. It's, it's, it's the director choice to do that. But I think we can head into our final thoughts, though. Uh, should this musical be revived? Does it have a place today? Autumn, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll start. Are. All right. Um, hmm. I think this is a very good story with a great message about breaking barriers, coming together. You know, like it's all about this kind of cultural divide being brought together by Tim Moon. Um, I think what needs to happen is what we talked about in West Side Story in our very second episode where, once again, great story, but it was written by white people. And like Bernstein and Sondheim, fantastic writers. Aronson and Flaherty, fantastic writers. But I think going forward, if we are to revive this, you need some BIPOC writers, music and book, to come in and work and work with them and get this even like, like they're like they already updating when they did the revival where they brought in more natural sounds and changed the soundscape a bit, but you need to do that to the next level to keep this moving forward. Because I think just letting right it, there. there's more that you can do. There's more <laughs> that you can work on by but having some BIPOC good. representation on the creative team. Uh, not how that there were no BIPOC people on the creative team. Neither did West Side Story, but you said in West Side Story that we should bring in somebody who is. Puerto I think Rican we should Israeli. bring in consultants. Yes, and I and I think that, that, is, that is what I. I really yeah. believe that. I believe that we should mm -hmm. be um, uh, bringing in um, culturally specific. Um, yes. Directors, choreographers, musical directors. Yeah. Would be good. And yep. then have the conversation. I don't know if the work itself needs to change, but I think that the approach around it, mm -hmm. approach around the container might need to change. Yes, exactly. Right? And, that is, and, and, that, and that is where I'm getting with that, is that we need to 
be mindful about this because it, it i mean we can never deny the cultural significance of this show and how important it was in the history you need it like it is important it's it, it's a beautiful story beautiful score uh i mean there are many great fairy tales and folklores from these cultures that i would love to see some bipoc artists adapt and bring to the stage because i think this is a great kickoff point to saying hey first nation um uh aboriginal uh artists like please write us a story like give us something like this because because th- we would love to hear your stories like like brought to us like we're the, fascinated they're really i don't i don't know how to say this because it's something i struggle with okay i think you know the sad sad reality of what we do is that we work within a medium theater musical theater especially has been white eurocentric narratives mm-hmm. and um the fact that aaron's and flaherty created two massive works mm-hmm. for culturally specific as white artists mm-hmm. um at that time 90s mm-hmm. um it it how do i say this it paved a path for white eurocentric audiences to see otherness through their own cultural lens which made it more acceptable to broaden the horizon to other purely culturally specific work. It's almost like they made it acceptable. Like The Clash, when The Clash brought popularized reggae for a white Eurocentric listener. Mm -hmm. And then they encouraged people to go out and listen to real reggae music mm-hmm. and people were more uh, uh, like they were more okay with doing that because mm-hmm. a white person told them to do that mm-hmm. do i think that's okay not at all i think we should have been supporting culturally specific stories forever on our stages um but that is not the case And I think, you know, demonizing it and saying we should never do these musicals is, you know, but a lot of people would, a lot of people would say, well, they appropriate a story, I guess, but they also created a platform for a lot of culturally specific Mm -hmm. people to work Mm -hmm. and to re-engage a story in another way. Would we have Hamilton if we did not have Once on this Island? I'm going to say no, no or say no I mean, and that's so sad and it's devastating to say that, mm-hmm. that we have to create a, a space where we're okay seeing other people on our stages. Mm-hmm. Fuck. That's what I want to say about that. Don't erase that. I'll put an expletive marker on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> there was one F-bomb in this season and that was it. Yeah. It should not, that, that never should have been a thing. A lot of things shouldn't be a thing. Mm-hmm. We are here, we are here now, yeah. and we are trying to talk about this work and, and, and show that that is where its place is. Mm-hmm. And should, can white people write culturally specific stories? Maybe, 
but they need to consult. They're not, you can't just, I'm not just going to pick up and write a story about indigenous people. I, that is not my story to tell. Mm-hmm. I would like, if I'm interested in that, I will like, there's got to be consultation. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, this, the fact of the matter is the people that go to theater are white privileged people. Yeah. And you know, uh, uh, Obsidian, um, Luke at Obsidian said it the other day, mm-hmm. he said, you know, that is our audience. Yep. And how do you create work that is meaningful? And you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, it's a big question. It's a, it's like there's so many, I have so many questions, but this piece, I think, I think this piece was really important. It's like one of the first times you had an all diverse cast telling a story that related to them in a way, right? Mm-hmm. The original source material was written by a Trinidadian woman. Yeah. So the you know one of the writers of of the the Harlem Writers Guild, like founders of the, mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know. It's a it's a very murky line, but I do know that, you know, when white people say it's okay, other white people will follow. Yeah. Is that sad? It's sad, mm-hmm. you know. It's sad. Mm-hmm. and but does it possibly give us more empathy i don't know i like i hope so many questions mm-hmm. it's such a gross place to be right now mac <laughs> and it's not like uh, for every every feeling i'm having imagine being someone who is diverse yeah. like the 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 uh, the years i just i can't the, mm-hmm. the, like watching Book of Negroes last week and, and having this conversation, it's like, wh- why, why couldn't Lin-Manuel Miranda just make Hamilton Hamilton without a, prede- a white predecessor before him, you know? Mm-hmm. And building on that, you know, the reason why white people are the ones going to the theater is because they are the ones who are moneyed. And money allows you access to live performance. And that disgusts me. Theater should be for everyone, mm-hmm. period. Should be for children. And that's why Soul Pepper is doing the right thing and, and letting everyone under the age of 25 come to the theater for free. For free. Mm-hmm. Soul Pepper, Wendy Mangesha, yes, all the way. Every theater company in this province should be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Kids eat free. <laughs> Love that. You know? But like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, overall, I think if there's a right creative team behind the table when you revive this show, I think I'm all for it. I just think it, it can't just be a white director who does this. I think no, it now be, it's, there needs it's to be consultation. Not. There needs to be a BIPOC creative no. team members, both on stage and behind the scenes, creating this work. And I think then it will work. I also think they need to put in a licensing thing, just like Hairspray just did, where white communities cannot do this show. You need to have an appropriate cast to do this show. I don't know. Go do one of the million shows that's written for us. Go do Oklahoma. 
anything, not even Oklahoma, any of them, any of the other musicals. There's Sound of Music. There are very few musicals that are written Mm -hmm. for BIPOC artists. Yes. Okay, and friends, go write the musicals. Yeah. Write them. Yep. There's lots of great stories to tell. And um, like people like Sheridan and things like that embrace culturally specific stories and sponsor those stories to become musicals. Mm -hmm. Like they still do a lot of white musicals uh, at Sheridan. Yeah. You know, as their their Canadian music theater project. Mm -hmm. We need to do better. We Mm -hmm. need to do better. Mm-hmm. It start. It starts. Uh, we can't become antiquated. We need to celebrate all stories. Mm-hmm. If if we don't, we're going to, you know, go down other areas. Er- like, look at opera. Opera's even trying to diversify right now. You have to. You know. You cannot survive on just white people alone. You can't. I mean, this is storytelling. Story belongs to everybody. We all have story. We are all made of story. Mm-hmm. But overall, Autumn, revive or no revive? Definitely. I think revive with with a BIPOC team. Absolutely. I think bringing out new things in this work, which is already so beautiful. It's like ragtime. I would love to see a collaborative team direct ragtime. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you, you have various different stories in there. So yeah. celebrate, celebrate that with your creative team. Yes. We, we can't work in bubbles. We need to start working in communities. And I think that yes. is the overarching um, point that I want to make. We need to, we've done that. We've worked solo, a molo, uh, thinking we know it all in our artistic vacuums. Yep. Um, now we need to work in communities. Love that. I think that's yeah. a great note to end on. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's it for this podcast. I mean, here we go. We are into the home stretch of the last few episodes of season two, everybody. Yeah. Holy cow. Our quarantine season. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe it will end. Maybe it won't. Better hope so. Because we need to get back to recording that's- together, not over Zoom whole other conversation McKenzie. that it is that it is but uh we thank you for listening to this episode i hope it stimulated some thoughts and some interesting conversations uh be sure to reach out to us on instagram facebook and twitter and let us know your thoughts at before the downbeat uh and also be sure to reach out to our wonderful theme music composer mr brody well who is continuing all through quarantine to write new tracks and new music uh, just look him up, Father Flozis, on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Music, Bandcamp, all these great options to hear what he's been working on because he is pumping things out. Like he, and, is- yeah, he, Brody's great. Brody's great. Yeah. yeah. Can I just add an addendum? Yes. I just want to say, you know, Mackenzie and I are are two people, two people who who love musicals, who are, mm-hmm. but who are always challenging what is there and mm-hmm. um you know we never claim that we are right we don't want to be right we love having 
conversations. And, you know, for the most part, we sit in a place of privilege as, as white mm-hmm. people and yeah. um, white artists. And mm-hmm. we long for conversations with, with people in the BIPOC community, mm-hmm. all communities, because yes. it, makes, it makes our conversations richer and um, we learn. We're, we're both lifelong learners. And yeah. Um, we want to be the change. We 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 are vehemently against band-aid solutions, and yes. we're trying to ask big questions to find a way forward that is uh, engaging empathy all the time. Mm-hmm. Well said. You couldn't have said it better, Autumn. Thank you. That is what we strive to do, especially with our last question of every episode. I think that is where. Musical theater, I mean, we have this beautiful, rich canon of work. And it's always important to reflect on the work and see where we go with it. Because I think even a show like Showboat, that is one of the most challenging pieces to ever do, because of what because what it does and talks about. I think there is a, I, I think there is something to talk about with that show. Because art stimulates conversation. And that's what's great about it. It's, uh, it's not, it's not just entertainment friends. There is more to it. Like it's great that you go pay an arm and a leg to go see Hamilton, but there are bigger conversations to be had when you go see a piece of theater or a film that will stimulate conversation. And that is what we strive to do on this little podcast that we put out to all of you worldwide, whether you are in Israel, Trinidad and Tobago, that we added to our wonderful listener list. Where else are we? Let's just give a quick shout out to I love that. listeners around. That's great. Yes. Uh, hold on here. I can tell all, all of your listeners where, where, where you're all listening from because we have a beautiful array. Like I love how uh, multicultural our audience is. Like we have, obviously we have our wonderful listeners in Canada, U- the US and United Kingdom, but we also go to Mexico, Argentina, Hong Kong, Philippines, Belgium, Australia, Spain, Brazil, Russia, Sweden, Israel, Japan, Bolivia, Taiwan, Chile, France, Latvia, South uh, Korea, Singapore, Kenya. Like, what? Like, we are all over. It's kind of awesome. Awe, as in awe. Mm -hmm. Um, I, Mm -hmm. thank you. I'm yeah. like, we're humbled that you listen to, <laughs> to us struggle through the muck and mire of musical yeah. theater land. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and if you want to hear more of our muck and mire, head on over to our Patreon page oh, yeah. where we do uh, movie musical commentaries, uh, monthly theater news reviews, top 10 lists, no. Uh, all types of good stuff deleted scenes from episodes oh, yeah because not everything always ends up in the episode but there are some good tangents that ultimately end up i save on a deleted scenes file so most episodes are usually four hours of recording <laughs> sometimes the way the, the way we're going right now absolutely um Atlanta. but yeah head on over to patreon there's lots of goodies there lots of cheers for you to choose from so head on over that way but Autumn, where can people find you if they want to uh, get in contact with you? All the places. I am at Autumn D. 
M Smith on Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. uh, connect, uh, or you can contact me via my company, which is little wood Smith, mm -hmm. uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or littlewoodsmith.com. Mm -hmm. Boom. Yep. Wonderful. Uh, and you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. You also can find me doing all the marketing fun stuff with Cup of Hemlock Theater, uh, where we are striving to continue through COVID by producing a lot of fun digital content. We have been doing these great weekly Shakespeare panels based off of the Stratford Shakespeare Festival productions they are screening. Uh, we have been doing interviews with artists from all over the spectrum of theater. We also have, by this time this comes out, we have, will have launched our uh, The Cup Roundtable series where we talked all about Shakespeare and gender. And we do polished readings of plays. So we've, so, so we've done Merchant of Venice. We've done uh, uh, Ibsen's Ghost. I have been cast and will have performed in Shaw's Man, The Man of Destiny. Whenever you hear this, like we are working away to fill the time. But anyway, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next Friday where we announce our next uh, episode. Uh, until then, stay healthy, stay safe. Please, for the love of goodness, wear your masks so we can get out of quarantine and get back to being together. Sanitize your hands. Always. Wash, Always. sanitize, kill the germs. All the things. Uh, but yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Tell the story.